0: Good afternoon, everybody. It has been a while since I've been at the 12 p.m., so it's great to be back with you guys. But I knew it was in good hands with Clinton Judy. But uh, I've actually been doing a series at the 2 p.m. service on the subject of passion. Because I think passion is something that's very important to our faith. It's something that's sometimes hard to get, hard to maintain, and very easy to lose. And so I've been doing some different topics. But there was particularly one lesson that I did a few weeks ago at the 2 p.m. and just a few weeks ago at the 9 a.m. And, and Clint wanted to make sure that I shared it with you as well. Now, did you guys all have a great Thanksgiving? Yeah. You did good? Okay, that's good. Um, you know, for me, it's getting, it's getting down to the wire. Three weeks from today, my daughter will be getting married, so getting a little nervous. Everyone keeps asking me, how you doing? I'm like, well, it's kind of like having a kid. Until the wedding, it's still in the womb for me. But for my wife, she's been carrying it all along. So that's kind of how, how I'm feeling. So wedding day asked me how I'm doing, and I probably won't be able to tell you because I'll just be in tears. But anyways, so when I think about passion, there's obviously a lot of things you could talk about. But one in particular is passion's source, passion's energy, passion's fuel is love. You know, you know that someone who's passionate, they have a love behind it, either for something, for someone, for a purpose, for a cause. Without love, passion's harder. But there is a great threat to this love. And I'd like to start off with this statement. I am not speaking to single disciples today. I'm speaking to disciples who are presently single. I am not a married disciple. I am a disciple who is presently married. I am not an American disciple, I'm a disciple who is an American. Right? I am not a male disciple, I am a disciple who is male. Right? You can put anything in the blank. You are not a blank disciple, you're a disciple who is blank. What am I saying? Is that our identity, our value, our security? Should only be who we are and meant to be in Christ. We should not find our identity or status or value based off grace, culture, your bank account, gender, or even your marital status. It's based on Jesus. But of great threat to this is insecurity. You know, I had the opportunity to see a documentary a few weeks back, uh, it's called Free Solo. It's not a Star Wars movie, okay? Uh, It's actually about an extraordinary climber that climbs without any safety ropes or gear. The movie documents Alex Honnold's 3,200-foot climb, which you can die simply from a 50-foot drop. This is him right there. Up the granite wall of El Capitan in Yosemite. He accomplished this in the movie. You'll have to see it. And he literally is hanging on by fingertips and a little bit of his toe. If he allowed insecurity to enter at any moment in that climb, he's dead. Now, they actually did do a study of his brain, and he actually has the section where fear is. He doesn't have it. He just doesn't. He, th- he has no fear. What, how, what would we be able to do? if we stop giving into the fears of our insecurities. So great movie, definitely watch it, but you're going to be like on your hands, you know, just because ah! you don't know until the very end what's going to happen, okay? But great movie. But it really helped me to understand how important it is to deal with this threat of insecurity. Proverbs 19:22. there's a great passage. It says, what a person desires is unfailing love. The Bible just said a statement about all of us in this room, and even everyone outside this room. What do we desire? Hello? Unfailing love. Now, the Hebrew word here is hesed. It means unfailing, loyal, devotion, right? Now, if we believe this passage, we have to accept a hard truth. You'll never find it from another person. Because at some point, they or you will fail in loving. Can we all agree to that? Yes. Now, it doesn't mean we shouldn't strive to have hesed love. Right. And there's even those in the scriptures like Ruth, for example, where the Bible describes her as having a form of hesed love. But she's human being. She's a sinner just like us. We will fail at some point. Right. Only God is where we'll find unfailing love. And if that's what we desire most then our security should not be in any other relationship. It should only be in God. But that doesn't mean we don't have some loving to do. And therefore, that means we still have an enemy of insecurity that can affect it. You know, in Mark chapter 12, we know this. One of the greatest or the most important command, as this gospel account records, says this. One of the teachers of law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked them, Of all the commandments, and if you actually could, you know, number them all, at that time of the Talmud, which is the collection of all the commands of Jewish faith, it's well over 600. Okay, so you say, now of all those, which one is the most important? How many is he asking for? One, One, right? And that is the correct, if you read the Greek, it's one, okay? It's not asking for many, it's one commandment. The most important one, answered Jesus, this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. And here, he's actually quoting Deuteronomy, by the way, this passage. He adds something that's not in the Deuteronomy passage. He adds your mind. Why? Well, we'll get to that. And with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Wait. Do you love God? With all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. What about your neighbor? Do you love your neighbor with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? No. That is only reserved for God. We forget that sometimes. Because he's the only one who can love and return that way. There's a different standard for us. And I think we miss this sometimes. Now, I'll be honest. Jesus' arithmetic does not make sense. Did you catch that? He says... There is no commandment, singular, greater than these, plural. What's that do? I don't know. I can't explain it. it. His math is different than ours. Okay? But think about these two commandments. There's a couple statements, questions we need to ask. Let's look at the first one. The first command is what? What is it? Love God. How? How? With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, in the Deuteronomy passage, he adds mind. Why? I think it's because at this point in history, technology has advanced to such a point that how we view ourselves through technology now affects how we think about ourselves, where that wasn't as big a deal back then. How much more do you think our mind's involved with our love today? We're just not responding a text right or at the right time gets you insecure or you accidentally had it in cap lock and they think they're yelling at you. Yeah. There are so many more opportunities in our minds to get insecure than ever. But the second command is what? Okay? How? Problem. How do we love ourselves? Because if you don't love yourself, you can't obey these commands. Now, I'm not talking about selfish love. We had plenty of that. But I'm talking about actually loving yourself for who you are. You can only do this in a relationship with God. But so often we look for other things, jobs, careers, bank accounts, people, to find our love, to find our security, which is why ultimately insecurity wins out. If we don't deal with insecurity. It ultimately will create defense mechanisms in our lives that will affect every single relationship, even the one you have with God. So my question is, how do we overcome it? Because you can't avoid it. I mean, you're at, you're at the time of the year where insecurity is rampant. They should get rid of ever looking in mirrors during the holidays. Because no matter what you do, no matter how disciplined you are, it's just you look bigger. Right? And and I know young people are dealing with insecurities on levels that most of us can't even relate to because of the bullying, the social media that we didn't have when we were their age. But young people, getting older doesn't get rid of insecurity. It just changes. At 50, I don't actually care what people think about me as much as I did when I was younger. Because this is who I am, take it or leave it. But at 50, I do think a lot more about myself in a negative way. Especially when I found out with a rear mirror, what? Why didn't anyone tell me I had a bald spot? Where did that come from? I guess they were being loving. They didn't want to get me nervous. But I was like, where did that come from? Right? We, we all face insecurities. So how do we overcome it? Well, there is a wonderful narrative, a wonderful story of someone's journey from insecurity and how it destroyed him and his relationships to someone who was secure in his identity with God. Would you like to go on that journey with me? Okay, then you got to turn to Genesis. But the key is love your neighbor as yourself. we got to learn to love ourselves as we watch this journey and how God helps them. In Genesis 25, verse 22 to 26, a little bit of the context first, Isaac's wife was childless. So he prayed to God, and God answered. But God answered in a big way, twins. And when Rebecca questioned, why are these two babies fighting within her? God answered her, and this is what we read in verse 23. The Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in a room. The first came out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. Did you see it? Did you catch it? where the seed of insecurity has already begun in the life of Jacob, it was not that he was the younger. That was only by a few minutes. He's a twin. It's the fact he was second. No one strives to be second. Trust me. I was a former distance runner. I'd rather be 10th than second. Why? Second is the first to lose. Second means you are not the winner. Second means you get lost in the story of history. Reality is most first place you forget too. But anyways, second means you don't get what the first gets. See, Jacob, this is even a bigger deal being second because it meant he would not be the son of the promise that's passed on. It meant he would not get the double portion of the inheritance. The family legacy would not be his. Second, he would not be content With second, something inside him just longed for freedom from being second. And that's where insecurity has its feasting ground. Because now Jacob's life is more about what he doesn't have and who he isn't than what he does have and who he is. And this is what insecurity does. You have to become other than yourself. And in fact, he hated Esau so much, he studied Esau. He learned his habits. He learned his speech. He learned his likes and dislikes. It all became about, who is Esau and how can I undermine him? He knew Esau was an impulsive man, an impatient man, a hairy man. See, insecurity can cause us to manipulate to try to find what's really a false sense of security. As we move on in the story in Genesis 27, verse 1 through 30, I'm just going to summarize for sake of time. Isaac is older, and he can no longer see. And so he calls for his son Esau. He asks him to go hunt for some of the wild game and prepare food for him. He wants to give Esau his rightful blessing before he dies. But with Rebekah's help, Jacob deceives Isaac into giving him the blessing, posing as Esau. What this story really brings out is really one question and one answer, and it is the result of what insecurity does. The question was from Isaac, who are you? Jacob responds, I am Esau, your firstborn. How do you love yourself if you're not being yourself? What's sad is he took things into his own hands. If he had only heard the prophecy from the beginning, didn't God already say even before they were born that the older would serve the younger? Do you realize God already has a plan for your life, but that your insecurity could cause you to take into your own hands the destruction of what God never intended? He has a plan for your life. He wants you to be you, good, bad, and ugly. But insecurity, man, it just twists us all up inside. We got to put up different faces, different masks. We got to avoid certain relationships. It's just a downward fall into obliteration of who you are. What's interesting to me is he hated Esau, but had to become him. So does he now hate himself? Yeah. Doesn't insecurity make you hate yourself? how sad that is but that's the threat of insecurity it sabotages all relationships if you're no longer yourself how do you love yourself and if you can't love yourself how do you love your neighbor how do you even love god see the root of insecurity is it always ends up being about yourself was it esau's fault who he was is he the antagonist who deserved to be humbled and if Jacob hated Esau for being first, but had to become Esau to be first, does he now need to hate himself? See, insecurity always causes us to compare, to blame, and demand fairness. All of these prevent us from truly loving ourselves and others. Do you think there's consequences for insecurity? Oh, yeah. Genesis twenty-seven forty-one. Esau, who would return only to find out it was too late for his blessing. Verse 41, Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. Guys, there are consequences for insecurity. Now, you may not have an actual sibling wanting to kill you, but your insecurity could lead you yourself to killing yourself and I don't just mean physically, which that's also possible, but killing who you were meant to be because you're trying to meet everyone else's expectations. You know the fallacy about worrying about what other people think is they don't actually think about you. They think about themselves. So why are we so worried about what other people think? Because trust me, if you could read their mind, they're not thinking about you. They're thinking about themselves. So it's such a waste of energy, waste of time. And it gets you nowhere. So God is going to set Jacob on a journey of how to find himself again. And along this journey, it's interesting, we'll see him build these altars, these monuments, where he has these moments with God where God is slowly working on his heart to weed out insecurity. The first thing he has to do is he has to flee for his life. And so his, his mom encourages him, go find our family so that you can find a future wife. And the first altar we face on this journey is he's leaving to go find the family is the altar of if-then. It's, it's amazing in this situation, verse 28, verse 18, how the Lord reiterates the promise that God had already given through Abraham, through Isaac, and now to Jacob. And yet Jacob mentions nothing about his grandfather or father. He's still focused on himself. He's not realizing he's actually part of a bigger promise. See, that's where insecurity gets us is we think we're all alone, we're isolated, not really, we're part of a much bigger plan. And we have a very specific purpose in being who God wants us to be. Verse 18, early the next morning, Jacob took the stone, this is after he had this dream, with the ladders going to heaven and angels ascending and descending. Now look at his response. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. So he made an altar. He called that place Bethel, though the city was used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow saying, "'If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey,' I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's house Then the Lord will be my God. A lot of eyes and me's. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house and all of that you give me, I'll give you a tenth. This altar is still all about himself. If, then. God, if you do blank, then I won't do blank again. Or you could do the positive slant. God, if you do this, then I will do this. Let's be honest. How many if-then altars have you built in your life? Appreciate you raising your hand. You just take it (laughs) ownership. Love that, sister. Absolutely. I think even before I became a disciple, there was always kind of that if-then. Hey, God, if you'll give me this girl I really like, then I'll be pure. It never worked. I should be pure first, and then God would give me a girl worthy of it. I had it all wrong. I took things into my own hands. If then, is that the altar you're building? That's what insecurity does. If you treat me this way, then I'll treat you that way. If you love me, then I'll love you. Weren't we supposed to just be commanded to love, not be loved? But if then altar, that insecurity is going to be an altar that we will continue to worship at. And it will destroy us. You know, Jacob eventually makes his way to his uncle's house, Laban. And now, in God's humor, the tables are turned. See, he was deceitful so that the younger could, in a sense, take over the older. He now wants the younger daughter and gets the older one. Younger, older, older, younger. God just turned it all around on him. (laughs) You know, you reap what you sow. It's a true statement. He eventually, though, works seven more years, and he gets the hand of the younger one, the one he added. Now, what's important about this, though, is even though we know Jacob's journey is not the most righteous, he's still very focused on himself, his insecurity is is destroying his relationships, God is still true to his blessing, though. Even though he got it by wrong means, God is still true to his word. And Jacob's life is blessed. He is blessed with wealth, with possessions, But that ultimately becomes a problem between him and his uncle, between his father-in-law. And so eventually he has to leave. And Laban actually follows after him and catches up. And here's where we find the second altar on Jacob's journey, the altar of separation. Let's look at these two passages. Genesis 31, verse 45. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. He said to his relatives, gather some stones. So they took stones and piled them in a heap and there ate thereby the heap. Laban called it Jagar Sachadutha, and Jacob called it Galid. Verse 51, Laban also said to Jacob, Here is the heap, and here is this pillar I have set up between you and me. This heap is a witness, and this pillar is a witness, that I will not go past this heap to your side to harm you, and you will not go past this heap and pillar to my side to harm me. What did the insecurities lead to? Separation. Sometimes we build an altar simply because we agree to disagree. No recon- reconciliation, but also no pledge to harm. So you may not get hurt again, but you also have no relationship. Do we not do this? This person hurt me. I don't want to hurt anymore. Wall of separation. You may not get hurt anymore by that person, but now you've lost an opportunity For reconciliation. The sad thing is, we can actually do this with God. God, you didn't answer. Or you did, but it wasn't the one I wanted. Or you didn't answer when I wanted. So you put up a wall. I'll still come, but I'm not going to be hurt by God anymore, so I'm not going to ask anymore. You've lost your relationship. You may not get hurt anymore, but you've lost the relationship. We can come to church. Still go through all the motions, but we put up a wall. If you've been hurt in a previous relationship, that fear could so control you, that insecurity so can control you, is you now actually project it on any other person. This man hurt me, therefore all men are evil. Which, by the way, we are. We all are evil. But the same is true. This woman hurt me, therefore all women are evil. Which, by the way, you are. We all are. But that's what happens. And now you could go through life because of one bad relationship. Though you don't want to be hurt again, you actually miss the opportunity for possibly an amazing relationship. And many of us do that with God. Are you building an altar of separation? But Jacob's journey continues. In verse 32, verse 1, it says, Jacob also went on his way, and the angels of God met at him. You know, this is amazing to me that despite where Jacob's at, and we know he's not doing everything right, do you see God all along the way? He never leaves him. He gives him a dream, he comes to him here, he's gonna send an angel to wrestle with him here in a second. But God is still with him. That's why insecurity is such a threat, is we begin to so focus on ourselves and what others think we don't see God with us anymore. Yeah. And yet he's always there. The angels of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, This is the camp of God. So he named that place Mahanaim. Now you go, well, what's the big deal? Why was that important, that name? Well, because Mahanim means two camps. camp of God, and Jacob's camp, a camp which, by the way, came through deceit and stealing the birthright and blessing of someone else. Everything he found value in had become his camp and therefore had no room for God's camp. So he was at a point of struggle. How do I navigate these two camps? And what's amazing is at this point, Jacob doesn't demand anything from God. In fact, he makes no if-then vows. And absent from Jacob's encounter is insecurity, but rather humility. Genesis 32, verse 3. Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. He instructed him, this is what you are to say to my master Esau. Your servant Jacob says, "I have been staying with Laban and have remained there till now. I have cattle and donkeys and sheep and goats, men servants and maid servants. Now I am sending this message to my lord, that I may find favor in your eyes." He doesn't even know if Esau's still alive, but he's already made a step in his heart to no longer think about himself. He actually elevates his brother Esau, the one he hated, the one he had to become. In his own eyes now, he displays humility rather than insecurity. Now, what's amazing is he eventually finds out that Esau's coming to greet him with 400 men. And he had the appropriate response fear. Who comes with 400 men to say hi? (laughs) I'm dead. He's coming to kill me. He still has a grudge. So he was afraid for his life. But here's what he does differently he no longer flees. See, here's the funniest thing about running away. You know where you're running from, but you actually never know where you're going. (laughs) Do you ever notice that? I'm running away. To where? I don't know. Rather than facing the situation, this time he stays with God. And what's amazing is what he does. He puts everything in God's hands. Instead of taking things into those hands, he puts it into God's hands. So after spending the night, he ends up sending several gifts, one after another, including his family, ahead of him to Esau. In other words, all the stuff he found value in up to that point that he stole and lied for, he now no longer keeps for himself. His value is no longer in those things. And so he basically sends his camp away so that the only camp that remains is God's. He doesn't need stuff to be free from insecurity. He just needs God. Amen. Verse 32, chapter 32, verse 22. That night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two maidservants, his 11 sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. The struggle wasn't just wrestling with the man. It was wrestling between the competing camps that were in his life. His camp, God's camp. Only after his camp was gone did God's camp remain. That's when you find security. When your security is only in God, you'll have a security that's eternal. If your security is in your camp or the way you get your camp, often through your insecurity you build your camp, it will perish. He gave up his camp. Verse 25. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Now remember how the story started? Who are you? I am Esau. Now we get to the end of the journey. The same question. What is your name? Jacob, he answered. He's finally himself. And then this is the most coolest thing. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. Because you have struggled with God and with men. And have overcome. He could not call him Israel while he was still trying to be Esau. Until he was Jacob, as God had said, the older will serve the younger. He probably wanted to call him Israel from the start. He actually basically did in a dream at the ladder. My promises to Abraham, Isaac, and you. But it was all about himself at that point. Who are you trying to be that's not you. What's your name? Say what's your name. Say it with confidence. Stand up and say your name. Hailey. What's your name? Do it. Yes. Yes. What's your name? Robin. Yes. What's the name that God wants to give you if you would get rid of your insecurities? Because Revelations promises that all those who overcome will be given a white rock with their new name. How often we miss out and who God wants to make us because we take things in our own hands. We build all the other altars than the one that we should. The final altar of God and then we'll pray for communion. Genesis 32, 30, the altar of God. So Jacob called that place Peniel saying, it is because I saw God face to face and yet my life was spared. Jacob left that altar knowing who is really in control and it was not himself. He had seen the face of God and lived. And now from this point on in Jacob's life, he trusts God and he serves God. He tries to be who he was meant to be rather than someone other than he was meant to be. From this point on, he was secure in his walk with God. I leave you with these questions. What altars are you building? Is it the altar of if-then? Is it the altar of separation? I won't get hurt anymore, but you also won't ever have the opportunity for great relationship. Is it the altar of struggle, fighting between those two camps? Or are we building the altar of God? Who are you? I am, say your name with confidence. Be who God intended you to be. Your value is not in any of the possessions, any of the other relationships. They will all fail you. Your identity and value is in God and God alone. If there's anyone who understood this, it was Jesus. Who are you? I am the I am. He had to face persecution, ultimately death for that statement. But he knew who he was. He knew why he was there. And he, he found his value not in what the crowds thought, not even what his followers thought, for they even said, no, you can't go to Jerusalem. Get behind me, Satan, for you don't have in mind the will of God. Jesus knew who he was. If he was insecure, we would not be meeting here right now. But he was secure in who he was. And because of what he accomplished on the cross, guys, we don't need to find our value in any other thing than him. Take up your cross and be who God designed you and is waiting to name you to be. Let us go to God in prayer. Lord God, we are so challenged by this story because I believe if we're honest, many of us have built many of these altars. Maybe some of them we're currently worshiping at. But God, thanks to Jesus, we have a way to overcome our insecurity. We have a way to get to the one altar that matters, the altar of God. Thank you for Jesus' example, that he knew who he was, and he was willing to face whatever comes with that to fulfill your will. God, as we take this bread and this cup, help us to no longer find value in what others think, or even what we think of ourselves. Help us to love ourselves as you intended, so that like you, we can love our neighbor, we can love our God. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.